I really like that last song, O Church Arise, because it, um, <clears throat> it's all about our striving as we are on mission for the Lord uh, while we are here on, on the earth. And it, uh, it just ties together our scripture reading uh, and the message for today. And in um, that scripture reading were the words, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? And... Um, uh, and then I like uh, how the New American translate this, this next line, run in such a way as to win. So the, the goal isn't to just run in the race, it's to run with a purpose, it's to run in such a way as to win. <clears throat> um, we don't want to just be runners who are running through life and at the end we um, have run the race and um, we're tired and whew, we made it. Uh, but we want to. We don't just want to make it across the finish line. We want to be the first ones across the finish line to win the prize, as Paul said. And and that's what this message is about today. Is I'm going to cover the next phrase in our church covenant. Um, we're towards the end. This is uh, the last phrase, and then there's a summary phrase that we're going to have a couple messages on at the very end. But this last phrase says this: We will strive to live Christ-like lives as we carry out our Lord's great commission by evangelizing and discipling within our spheres of influence. And um, what we've been covering for the last many weeks is the what and the how of living Christ-like lives. You know, we will strive to live Christ-like lives. All, everything that's preceded this has been the what and the how of living Christ-like lives, um, being fathers and mothers and husbands and and wives and children and um, your walk with the Lord um, and so forth. Um, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And we want our lives to be putting off a fragrant aroma to those around us, um, not a, a stench. Uh, to which the world becomes more cynical of Christianity. I think um, sometimes that's probably the one of the biggest hindrances to the spread of the gospel is the world seeing um, Christianity in, in a bad light. Um, of uh, um, when we as believers don't um, don't put off a fragrant aroma, um, but we are being uh, poor examples of Christ on the earth. And um, so today, one of my goals is to show us how uncomplicated our mission really is. We don't need to overthink this. And, uh, but I just want to bring it down to ground level and make it something that's practical for each one of us. Um, so I'm sure to no one's surprise, we're going to be looking primarily at what are commonly known as the Great Commission passages in Scripture. Uh, now, this may sound grim, but I think um, but I want you to think about just for a minute, if, if God were to give you the opportunity uh, on your deathbed uh, to where you were still lucid enough uh, to give some final words to your family members, um, this may be kind of silly, but I've kind of had those thoughts before. And um, most people probably don't even get that opportunity. But let's just say you did get that opportunity. I think you'd probably think, I want to really, I want, these are going to be important words. 
I want, these are the last words that they're going to hear from my mouth. So I want to really um, tell them something of extreme importance. Um, well, did you know that the Great Commission is the only command that's recorded in Scripture between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension in all four Gospels and the book of Acts? So of all the things that God allowed to be recorded that Jesus commanded us to do as his followers in Scripture, he chose to focus on us preaching the gospel and being his witnesses to the world around us. Um, so I think that there's a big, a great importance to that. And so what we're going to do is look at the different text where Jesus is giving his final words to his followers to see just the different nuances between the texts and um, see what we can pick up from them. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we look at the account in Matthew, Mark, John, Acts, Luke. And, um, and what we're going to see is we're going to see the authority for the Great Commission. We're going to see the scope of the Great Commission. We're going to see the message of the Great Commission. And we're going to see the pattern of the Great Commission. And we're going to see the power for the Great Commission. <clears throat> so first we're going to start with the Matthew account. Um, and um, I'm going I'm to read these verses because I already have them written down here. Uh, but if you want to jot down where they're from, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the references. Um, in Ma Matthew account, uh, the Great Commission verses here is Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And um, in this verse, we see the authority for the Great Commission. And I'm gonna, I'll read the, uh, the text. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now we've talked about this many times before, uh, but the command there is to make disciples. It's not to go. In fact, if you were to literally translate it, it would be something like this. Make disciples while going or as you go or wherever you go, baptizing and teaching and so forth. That's how it literally plays out. And um, you kind of see this in the New Testament. Um, even years uh, after Jesus gave this command, the apostles were yet still in Jerusalem. However, as persecutions came, um, and it caused the believers to be dispersed um, out of Jerusalem and into other parts of the world as they were going, wherever they went, they continued to make disciples, and so the gospel continued to spread. So what is a disciple? Um, I don't know where I got this definition from, but uh, his, this is how I said it. A follower of Christ whose intention is to learn from Jesus and follow in his steps. That's why our mission statement is that we exist to make mature followers of Christ to the glory of God. So really our mission at Liberty Hills Bible Church is really who we are called to be as Christ followers. Now we live in an age where there's all kinds of different authorities in our lives, whether that be government authorities or we have um, employment authorities or, or whatever, but you can imagine when the God of the universe um, says all authority is mine in heaven and on earth 
now I want you to do something for me. That that should be, that should be of highest importance. And so it would make sense that we, as followers of Jesus, um, that out of all of those authorities in our life, that um, our response to his authority would be greater than our response to all other authorities. And um, of course, I'm not saying that we need to ignore the government rules and, and what our boss asks us to do. But um, what I'm trying to say is that we need to consider how seriously or not seriously uh, we take Jesus's words here when he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now you, as you're going through life, tell others this message, share this story. Now, some people will look at the Great Commission passage and say <clears throat> that Jesus was just talking to the audience in front of him. Um, but the problem with that is that in the same statement, he says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Well, certainly that would include what he had just commanded them, uh, which was to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so you can see that it's a perpetual command from generation to generation to generation where this baton continues to get handed off to every generation of Christians all the way down to where it affected you and me. And um, so what's sobering is that you and me are a part of a long line of people who have lived out the mission of Matthew 28 in order to see that line pushed closer to the end. And uh, we are the benefactors of others who obeyed um, that message. Um, so that's sobering, but yet it's amazing, and, um, and we should all be extremely grateful that others before us obeyed that command. Now, if you stop and think about it, you could also get paralyzed thinking, man, that's a heavy load, uh, that command. But then he goes on to say this, I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age, so you don't have to be alone in it. And on top of that, I think partly why sometimes we, we get, might think it's a heavy load is because we, we live in this Western individualized culture where a lot of times we just narrow things down to me and God, God and me, and, and we need to get past that thinking because um, God gave us the church and this mission is for the church. Uh, and we as the church can link arm in arm as brothers and sisters in Christ in proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. We're not going it alone. For example, um, hosting men's breakfasts in your front yard um, uh, and having a Bible discussion like David Painter has initiated to, to bridge, um, to build relationships with neighbors for a bridge to the gospel. And then um, hosting game nights doing something that you enjoy doing, that you know others enjoy doing in order to build bridges for the gospel with coworkers and friends like Dave Welch initiated. So we don't have to go it alone, bring others from the church into those things that, um, that you enjoy doing, that you know you can have connections with others uh, that are in your sphere of influence. So we see the authority of the Great Commission in the Matthew account. In the Mark account, we see the scope of the Great Commission. I just want to share one verse from the Mark account, Mark 16, 15, says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. <clears throat> so, you know, this thought of preaching the gospel to all creation just tells us the scope with which Jesus was talking about. 
And this verse really goes hand in hand with another verse in Matthew 24, 14, which probably a lot of us aren't as familiar with, where Jesus says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, if you are reading this from an English perspective, um, you'd probably Google, well, how many nations is he talking about? Um, and, the, you know, your Google would come up with about 195 nations. And uh, because that's talking about geopolitical nations um, that are recognized by the United Nations. Um, however, the Greek word in the New Testament here <clears throat> is the word ethnos. And it's talking about ethno-linguistic or, or people groups, um, not geopolitical nations. So not to make things discouraging, because when you think 195, it's like, oh, we can do that, God. That's not that many. Um, but when you think of people groups, um, that's a little bit different story. Um, uh, most people today would agree that there's about 10,000 different people groups out there, ethno-linguistic groups. And most would agree that about half of those are considered what they call unreached. And kind of their um, definition of unreached is that less than 2% of the population of that group are Christ followers. Um, so and of these, they think that approximately half of those have no known Christ followers at all. And so I think the takeaway from this scope is not that we leave here this week um, sell all our possessions and uh, make plans to get on planes and disperse all over the world, pick a people group and fly out there, which they probably don't even have airports uh, at most of them. But um, I think the, the, the um, takeaway here that I want us to get is to rather to raise an awareness of the world around us. And I, I want to read from a passage, actually two passages. I'm going to start in John 4, 31 through 38, and then I'm going to read from, from Matthew 9. So let me start in John 4, 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. This is his encounter with the woman at the well, and they went to get food. He was talking to the woman at the well. They come back, and, and this is the encounter they have with Jesus, the disciples. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Um, the key here is that that was Jesus' food, to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. This needs to be the food that um, our food is to do the will of him who sent us and to accomplish his work. And um, Jesus was already having an encounter with the woman at the well. He wasn't, he wasn't thinking, oh, you know, it's 
is in, in, in a couple years, we're going to go out and we're going to start doing things, guys. No, no, the time is now. The time is now. The harvest is now. And, um, and then in Matthew 9, verse 35 through the end of the chapter says this, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So one, how can we raise our awareness? Well, one, we, can, we need to be praying for laborers. And personally, I think that we need to be praying every day that God would work in us to be laborers for the harvest. Because honestly, we get distracted by the affairs of life. We, we, we get distracted from the busyness and the meetings and things at work and then things at home and then, okay, the grass is getting too tall, got to be mowing that and, and this and that. And uh, we need to be praying that God would work in us to be, have a mindset of being laborers for the harvest. Um, and then two, we need to pray that God would open our eyes to the world around us. Um, I was just looking up <clears throat> something, um, and maybe a lot of us aren't even aware of this. These are just the refugees that are here in the Kansas City area. 7,250 from Somalia, 3,000 from Burma, 1,200 from Sudan, 4,000 from Iraq. That's a lot of people where God has brought the world right here on our doorstep. And it's not like we need to get on a plane and fly over to Burma. We can reach Burmese people right here. And these Burmese people have family members that are in Burma. They can go back and reach their family members. Um, and I work with um, people right in my department at work. I work with Ahmed Khan, um, who is from Pakistan. Uh, he's, got his, his, he's got siblings that still live over there. He's got his mother and father that still live over there. I work with Akshay, who is from India. He's got family members. His parents still live in India. I work with Tristan, who is from the Virgin, Island, uh, Virgin Islands, whose parents still live in the Virgin Islands. And uh, if I am faithful to proclaim the gospel to them, and if the Lord would save them, then Ahmed could reach his family in Pakistan, and then they could reach their other family members in Pakistan with the gospel. If um, God chose to save Akshay, his family in India could be reached through him. Um, if uh, Tristan was saved, his family in the Virgin Islands could be reached through him. Um, we have William Jewell College right around the corner. And I, I did some research and their international students are primarily from China, Australia, and Spain. Uh, what if we as a church thought of ways to meet the needs of some of these students and through that opportunity, God were to save some of them to where now as they are going back to their countries, the gospel is going with them. So I think the takeaway here is to, is to be a, have this awareness that the world is right around us and um, we, we just need to take the blinders off. 
Um, so we should be praying and asking God how we can join him in being a part of his building of his church in the world and in the world in which we live. And um, it would not be that difficult if we would just raise our awareness of what's going on around us. Third, we see the message of the Great Commission in the Luke passage. In Luke 24, verses 45 through 47, Jesus said, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. That the Christ would suffer, he would die, that he would rise again, and there needs to be a response to that. Uh, you need to turn away from what you're trusting in, and you need to trust Christ and receive his forgiveness for what he did on the cross. That's the gospel message. And uh, it really mirrors what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul clearly said, I preach now, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel. This is what he said in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received and which you also stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. People have written whole books um, on what the gospel is, and yet Paul could do it in a few sentences. And so did Jesus in Luke's account. It's not that complicated, and that's what I'm saying. I, I don't want us to overcomplicate what the gospel is. Um, that's the core message that we are to be sharing with people. <clears throat> so we go on to see the pattern of the Great Commission in the John passage. In John 20, 21, uh, again, this is uh, post-resurrection, Jesus is with his disciples and he says this. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So let's think about that for a minute. How did the Father send Jesus? Well, he sent him personally. Uh, he sent him physically. And he sent him to live among lost people, lovingly showing the character of God and sharing a message of grace. And uh, that's what Jesus was sent for. Ultimately, he died on, on a cross in our place. That was his ultimate work. <clears throat> but while he lived on the earth, he did, he did those things. He lived among lost people, physically, personally, lovingly, serving others, caring for others, healing them, sharing a message of grace. And by the way, that's, that's our calling. That's what we're called to do because as Peter says, we are to walk in his steps. The question is, are we doing this? And um, honestly, I hope you don't feel like, uh, uh, the only word that comes to mind, this is a terrible word because it's excoriated. I don't know why that word came to my mind. But anyway, uh, because this message is really, I'm, I'm speaking to myself when I say this. Um, when I'm asking these questions here, are we even <clears throat> friendly people? You know, are we even friendly people? 
uh, when we're out and about, when we're together, uh, you know, because we're even called to, to make disciples. It's whether that's someone who's on the, on the point of not yet saved, not, does not know Christ yet, or they are saved, and we need to help make disciples, help them grow more like Christ. Um, so when we come to any church activity, whether it be on Sundays or life groups um, or men's and women's Bible studies, when we see new people or newer people, um, do we even make an attempt to get to know them? Um, uh, do we need even make an attempt to begin building a relationship with them? Or do we just stay in our comfort zones? Um, praise the Lord that Jesus and those who heard his command to go and make disciples didn't all stay in their comfort zones, or more than likely none of us would be saved because his message would not have perpetuated. Um, so we see the power of the Great Commission in the Acts account. These are the last things recorded that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven. The disciples are there on the mountain with him, and he's about to leave after being with them for 40 days after the resurrection. And this is what it says in Acts 1, 7 through 9. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So what we see here is that when God gave us this seemingly overwhelming task as a church body, and really it telescopes down individually to each individual believer, we have to deal with that ourselves and how we respond individually to that command. Um, but it can be somewhat overwhelming unless we realize that he would be with us. That's what it says in the Matthew account, and here it says that the Holy Spirit will actually live in us. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you've at least experienced by now that true made it, the true motivation for living out being a follower of Christ is not going to come from a preacher standing up and giving a motivational message to do something. Um, maybe that might last for a couple of weeks, but that's not, that's not true motivation. I mean, um, you've probably been places where you could be whipped up into a frenzy and um, that it's, it's like taking a six-hour energy drink, you know, but it, eventually it's going to wear off. So true motivation for a lifetime comes from within, comes from the Spirit of God within you. And um, <clears throat> Paul knew that, and um, that's why he wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. This is the true motivation, the love of Christ compelling us. When we really understand the love of Christ, when we really understand the gospel of Christ, when we really understand what that means for us, that should be extremely motivating to us. 
Um, how could someone endure what they could endure like Paul? If you, if you just read through 2 Corinthians 11, he goes through a long list of, of things, sleepless nights, um, without food, flogging, stonings, abandoned by friends, and many other things. Paul's whole identity was wrapped up in Jesus and nothing else. He was motivated by the love of Christ. That is what defined him, and, and that is what compelled him to act. Um, we really need to be done with being motivated by guilt trips and, and resolutions, um, and that's not, even, that's not the goal today, um, guilt trips and resolutions. The, the goal is, is to be motivated by the love of Christ. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. But we need to be motivated by falling more and more in love with Jesus and the good news um, of the gospel. And then we will be compelled by the living water from within. We also need each other to help, okay? Or else there would be no need for Jesus to have created the church. Of course, he, he, knew, he, knew, he knew this. Um, and I think the beautiful thing about the church is that God knows that each one of us is not gonna be 100% yielding to the Holy Spirit 100% of the time. So if we are humble, and when we are down, we allow others to pick us up. Um, and that's how it's supposed to work. I mean, I definitely need people in my life that are helping me by asking me, Andy, what are you learning in the Word? How is your prayer life? Because we are all human and we get caught up in the things around us. And before we know it, if you think, boy, when is the last time I prayed for any uh, of my lost family, friends, or coworkers? salvation, or when's the last time I shared my faith, or, or even when's the last time I even cared about sharing my faith? Um, when's the last time I even thought about my next door neighbors? Um, when's the last time I even prayed for God to open an opportunity for me to serve them or influence them for Christ? So we see the authority for the Great Commission in the Matthew account. We see the scope of the Great Commission in the Mark account. We see the message of the Great Commission in the Luke account. We see the pattern of the Great Commission in the John account. And we see the power for the Great Commission in the Acts account. So you see why I said that there are some nuances uh, between the passages, passages, but it pretty much um, covers the gamut. And uh, <clears throat> so what, what should our response be in, in light of all this? Well, if Jesus Christ himself said these things to his disciples which he did, and if they were to teach their disciples everything that he commanded them, and we see that happen over and over and over again, then obviously we have inherited that command from Jesus. So what must our response be? Well, this in the do-all, end-all list, and maybe during the A&I time, we can encourage one another with some, some things that have, that have helped us, okay? But this is some things I came up with. The first response we should have is that we should pray because we have lost people all around us. And um, a prayer that we should pray often is what Paul asked the Colossian church to pray for him in Colossians 4. Um, I'm gonna read Colossians 4, verse two through four. Um, Paul's writing and he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open to us <clears throat> a door for the word so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ 
for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to proclaim it. Um, I feel like if we would pray that prayer often for ourselves, one, it would raise an awareness of the lost world around us. And I believe, too, that God is going to answer that prayer and we're going to see doors open that just, uh, I, I mean, I've seen it happen in my own life and I know that some of you have too and maybe we can share that in our, in our A&I time with one another, how God has done that because that's extremely encouraging to hear. And then we need to start where we are. Okay, we need to start where we are. Um, to not overthink it, let me just take the example of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You know that after a long day of teaching, Jesus feels compassion for the multitude and he doesn't want to send people away hungry. Um, and he said, you know what, we need to feed them. And so the disciples are like, how in the world are we gonna do that? Um, we don't have we don't have the ability to feed 5,000 people. And so um, Jesus looks at them and says, well, you know, what, what do you have? And um, they end up getting some stuff from a boy there. And uh, they had two small fish and five loaves. Um, but they questioned it, how far that would go. But Jesus was, just have the people sit down. And you know the end of the story. Jesus began distributing what they had, and at the end, there were basketfuls left over. So what we see from that passage is something really simple, a really simple pattern that we can follow. We see that they started right where they were. When they were gripped with the need that was around them, they just started right there. And then they used what they had, and then they did what they could. Jesus asked them to have the people sit down, and so they did that. Then Jesus asked them to distribute what he handed them, and so they did that. Um, and the key is that they trusted God to do the rest. And so when it comes to the Great Commission, we just need to start where we are. We need to use what we have, and we need to do what we can, and we need to trust God to bless and multiply it. Um, uh, just a few weeks back, um, we had been living in, in our new house uh, since last June, um, but, you know, there was still the COVID thing going on. But uh, just a few weeks ago, you know, we started right where we were, our neighborhood. Um, uh, started with what we had, Lisa's ability to make cookies, and, um, and did what we could. We just uh, went to two neighbors on the right, two neighbors on the left, and across the street, two neighbors across the street, and introduced ourselves um, so that we could just start building a relationship with, with people in our neighborhood. And, um, you know, we trust that God will, uh, over time, that we'll, we'll see them more often, we'll, we'll be able to have conversations with them when we're out and about, we're mowing lawn, they're mowing lawn, uh, or, or whatnot, and we can build relationships uh, as, as a bridge to, to share the gospel with them. Um, so that's the key. Just start where you are, use what you have, and do what you can, and then trust God to, to bless it and multiply it. Um, everybody should be able to pray. Everybody should be able to start where they are and, uh, and just use what you've got. Um, let's pray. God, 
I just think of that simple story about the fish and the loaves, and <clears throat> it really is a great, <clears throat> a great story for us, Lord, because I think sometimes we we think that we need to have some grand plans and grand schemes and uh, somehow do some great thing to uh, get your message out there or to reach people, but um, I pray that you'd, one, help us to have an awareness of the lost world around us. Um, I pray that you'd give us hearts of compassion like you had to where we see the lost world around us as people who are distressed and as sheep without shepherds and, and have compassion on them, God. And, um, and I pray that you would open doors, uh, God, for us and, and, and work in us to where our eyes see that you are doing that work. You are the one opening the door in people's lives around us to where you are opening the door so that we can share the good news with someone else. Um, so God, I, I just pray, this is a work, God, that we ask you to do um, by your grace in our lives, God. You know that um, there's the worries of the world, there's the deceitfulness of riches, there's the desire for other things. All these three things just get in the way of, of seeking first your kingdom. Um, so God, I pray for your help for us to um, be about your business, doing um, your work, and that our food would be um, doing your will and doing your work um, in our time here on earth. And I pray, God, that you'd um, that we'd um, see opportunities to do it together as well, which I believe, as Paul even in that prayer used the words we many times, us and we, um, that the doors would be open for them, um, not just himself, because he was ministering with brothers and sisters together. And um, so God, I just pray that you would do this work, God, um, and that we would see you work in a way that you would you would use us to share your good news with people and see people um, come into your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.